Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Have you ever felt that you were just floating through life, unmoored, unanchored, wondering exactly how you arrived at your present location or still surprised at how you arrived? Because where you are is not where you planned, what you dreamed, what you hoped, what you thought. Have you ever felt lost, unsure of your place in life, uncertain of your place in the world? Not only unsure of your next step, but unsure of which direction you should take. Or have you simply wondered, is the path I am on the right one? Am I going in the right direction? Am I making the right decision? Am I living life well? Or have you ever felt uncertainty or fear in the face of your own mortality? Perhaps on someone you know, someone you're acquainted with, or someone you love dies. And you're reminded again that one day your life will also end. In those moments, have you ever wondered, am I doing it right? Have I lived well? How should I change? What exactly is after? Have you ever longed in your heart for something better deep inside? You know, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way in your life, in this city, in the world. You ever felt any of those, wondered any of those? Maybe when you actually slowed down. Perhaps in the quiet of the night or the stillness of the morning, maybe then you felt, you, you wondered, you, you struggled, and then other thoughts, other concerns invaded your mind. Well, such questions, such feelings about life and identity and direction and conduct are, are easier to set aside than to wrestle with, but if you don't, they'll keep coming back. They'll keep haunting you, lurking in the corner of your thoughts. Well, in order to arrive at the truth, in order to answer such questions, you must look to the beginning and to the end, to the origin and the culmination. And our scripture readings today encompass both beginning and end, origin and culmination, Genesis and Revelation. Well, chapter one of Genesis was a macro widescreen, big picture, top of the mountain view of creation. The one eternal, almighty, infinite God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. God spoke creation into being, and he pronounced it good, very good. Well, our reading from chapter 2 marks a change in the narrative. Chapter 2 moves from wide angle to zoom and then retells part of the story. Chapter 2 focuses in on and lingers on the creation of humans. Before there were bushes in the field, before there were any cultivated plants, for there was no one to work the ground. Before God sent the rain, when the earth was watered by a mist or a spring rising from the ground, the Lord God formed man. The Lord God. 
In chapter one, God speaks, God creates. In Hebrew, it's the generic word for God used, Elohim. Well, here in chapter two and through chapter three, it is the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh, the Lord, is God's revealed name. It's the personal name he discloses to his people, his covenant people. It's the name he reveals to Moses in the burning bush. Well, we've moved from the grand scale of creation and the cosmos in chapter one to a garden where God is about to form the first person and be in relationship with him, covenant with him. The Lord God forms man out of the earth, out of the dust, like a, like a potter working clay, attentive, focused, joyful. He formed his body unmoving and lifeless. And then God breathed into his nostrils. The Lord God breathed into the man he formed, the breath of life and the unmoving, lifeless, cold body of dust came alive, stood up with heart beating, lungs breathing, eyes focused, ears attuned before his creator receiving the breath of God separates the man from all other creatures, from all of creation. It, it points to his unique relationship with God. Martin Luther, great 16th century Protestant reformer, calls this man's alien dignity where it comes from outside himself, outside the created order. Well, this breath is depicted in Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. Some of you have been there. Some of you have seen it. Rather than a breath, God reaches out his finger to touch a listless, lethargic-looking Adam to give him the spark of life. Well, you are dust. You're part of creation, a creature. You belong to the earth and all that is within it, sharing the same building blocks as the rest of creation. You possess a physical created body knitted together by God in your mother's womb, just like a potter working clay, attentive, focused, joyful. Your body is an essential part of who you are, an essential part of what makes you human, an essential part of life, your life given to you by God. You are a living, breathing, heart-beating, moving, need-to-eat-and-drink part of creation with the physical body. Yes, it can break. Yes, it can suffer wear and tear. Yes, it can suffer illness and infection. Yes, it ages, but it's you. And God created it good. But it's not all you. You also have a soul. You have a spirit breathed into you by the Lord God. It's the spark of life given to you at conception, invisible, unseen. It, too, is an essential part of who you are, an essential part of what makes you human, an essential part of life, your life given to you by God. You are body and soul, body and spirit, both. One is not more important than the other. We, we live in a culture that exhibits extreme views on the body. On the one hand, we're bombarded with images of the body, often devoid of soul. And on the other hand, we're told the body is inconsequential. It's, it's your consciousness, your emotions, your feelings, your, your will that are essential. But the truth is, 
You're both body and soul. Both are given by God. Both make you human. Both are what make you, you. God created man. And in the east, in the direction of the sunrise, was Eden. Eden is from a word that can mean a plain or a prairie, but it can also mean pleasure, delight. In Eden, the Lord God planted a garden. And out of the ground sprang trees. The trees were both pleasant to the sight and good for food. The garden was lush. The garden was beautiful. It contained a banquet of food. And two of the trees are named the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And within that garden, God placed the man. The garden was to be his home, a space of beauty and blessing, a space of bliss and harmony, a place of fellowship, fellowship with God. All of this provided by God, all of this a gift. And he placed the man there not only to live, but also to work, to keep the garden, to tend it, nurture it, care for it, guard it. A gift. Work is a gift. And do you, do you hear that? Work is a gift. You too are gifted work. You too are placed in a garden. Your garden may be an office or a hospital or a courtroom or a classroom. Your garden may be a camp or a grocery store or a dental office or a retail store or a restaurant. Your garden may be a home or a family. Your garden could be a, a, a spouse or an aging parent or a beloved pet. Your garden may be a ministry or a volunteer organization. It may be an actual garden or just your yard. Well, God gifts you the garden to keep, to tend, to nurture, to care for, to guard. Now, some of you are shifting around in your seats a little bit. <clears throat> you may be thinking, hold on, you don't know my job. You don't know my coworkers. You don't know my family situation. You, you don't know my yard. It's true. It's true, I don't. And they may not seem like they're a gift, but it doesn't change the fact that God has placed you in that garden, that he's uniquely equipped you to tend that garden. He gifts it to you. Since the beginning, since the creation of work, sin has tainted it. Sin has infected it. Proper boundaries get blurred. You, you work too much or you don't work enough. Rather than a joy, it becomes a burden or a hardship. Relationships can make it worse or at best complicated. It makes you tired. It makes you weary. You can get crushed by it. You can feel like a failure through it. And what about your motives? What about your heart? Do you work with a thankful heart for the one who gave it? Or are you resentful? Do you seek to glorify God through it? Or do you seek your own glory? Well, the garden the Lord God plants is a home. 
It's a place of work. And God gives great freedom to the man in the garden, great permission to the man in the garden. There was only one rule, one prohibition. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why, why that one? Why that one? Well, good and, and evil is shorthand for all moral knowledge. It's shorthand for the capacity to, to make moral judgment. It, it represents the wisdom to decide good and evil, discernment to decide what is good and evil in life, in your life. Now, the problem is this. Unless you know everything, you only know in part. Unless you know absolutely, you only know relatively. As, as finite creatures, as dust and breath, we can only know in part. We can only know relatively. God knows all. God knows absolutely. Only he can know truly and wholly what is good and evil. This knowledge is only for him. This tree represents knowledge that's only for him. We can only have such knowledge as God reveals it to us, as he makes it known to us. And he does so through his word. Eating the fruit is not only disobeying God, but it's also a desire to be God or to be like God, to determine good and evil, right and wrong for yourself, for your life, for the world around you to do what is right in your own eyes. Well, breaking the law, trespassing this prohibition led to punishment. The Lord God tells the man, from the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death. Sin leads to death. To be cast out of the garden, away from the tree of life, to, to separate body and soul, to return to dust. Well, you have tasted of that tree. When you grant yourself the wisdom and authority of ultimate moral judgment, of determining good and evil, you eat of that tree. And it looks like this. When you do what you want to do, rather than what God wants you to do. When you live how you want to live, rather than God, how God wants you to live. When you do what you will, rather than what God wills. In your thoughts, in your heart, through your words, in your action or inaction. And, and separated from the tree of life, your future is a return to dust. But the good news is this. Jesus Christ has come. In him, God took on dust. God took on flesh, a body, was knitted together in Mary's womb and became a man. Became fully human, body and soul, without ceasing to be God. And Jesus did what man could not, what the man could not. Jesus did what any man or woman could not. He did not eat at the tree. He didn't need to. Jesus never sinned. Yet he suffered death. 
and he suffered it willingly. He suffered it freely for you to take your place. Jesus became your substitute, receiving the punishment you deserve. But he rose again. And he rose again in body, not as a spirit, but again as a man, body and soul, dust and breath. And by rising again, he opened the way to the tree of life for you. Our New Testament reading from Revelation offers a picture of eternity, a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And in the center is the Lamb. In the center is Jesus. And a river flows from his throne. And next to the river is the tree of life. The same tree that was in the garden. The tree of life representing eternal life, forever life, blessed life in fellowship with God. Life better than in the Garden of Eden. Life better than in your garden. Through Jesus and through faith in him, that's your destination. For the Lord God makes covenant with you through Jesus. Invites you into relationship with him through Jesus, which means you belong to him. You're his, and it means your future, your end, is resurrected life with Jesus, like Jesus, your body and soul united again, dust and breath. This time, though, never to die. This time, never to return to dust again. You are dust and breath, body and soul. Your life is a gift from the Lord God. But that's your origin. That's your beginning. And through faith in Jesus, you can know your end. You can know the culmination of your life. You can know eternity. And it's with God. Body and soul with God. Knowing your beginning and knowing your end can offer you direction. Direction when you feel like you're floating. Direction when you feel like you're lost. Direction when you feel like you don't know which way to go. Knowing the beginning and the end can offer you strength. Strength when you wonder about the garden that you find yourself working in. Peace when you wonder about the garden you find yourself working in. Knowing the beginning and the end can give you comfort. Comfort in the face of death. Comfort in the face of your own mortality. Peace in the face of your own mortality. Knowing the beginning and the end gives you certainty that there is something better. It won't be this way forever. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 